on this week's episode. Richmond fall even further down the ladder, while the Smith brothers at Melbourne and Fitzroy are really setting the league on fire. Essendon also start the season on fire, but injuries catch up with them. St Kilda stay positive. Hawthorne achieve something they've never done in their 35 years in the league. We'll listen more after the song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules football history podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. Uh, we have no real qualifications to bring you this show other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the, relive the past, and lots and lots of books. My name is Tim, i got Coops over there. Hello! And we welcome back the Kazman. Hi everybody, thanks for listening. He's back! He's With back. a vengeance. That's right, That's right. Uh, glad to be back. Um, I have missed football history. Let's be honest. Well, we, we figured you were affected because Melbourne lost 58 and we know you didn't want to be there and you were so affected you couldn't bring it that was to 59. It. So I had to carry it on my own, crying the whole episode. <laughs> I'm only going to show up if, we, if we're winning. Um, let's be honest. So, like you said, well, I listened so You're only here for one more episode. <laughs> yeah. oh. That's a worry. Um, but you have bought a house in, in exciting news, so that's why you're kind of coming and going. You're quite a busy man at the moment. Uh, yeah, I could start another podcast about renovations. <laughs> but we won't talk about that. No, we but won't. thanks for the uh, encouragement. Indeed. Um, guys, I'm going to steal a line from your favourite musical. Go on. Hey, Charlie, welcome to the 60s. <laughs> it's dropping down the list, but it is one of my favourites. Yeah, I know. Is that, yeah, is we're that there. the boyfriend? Uh, no, that's that is the, uh, Hairspray. Hairspray. Yeah. Hey. yeah, welcome to the 60s. Um, exciting decade of football. It certainly is. Seven clubs winning a flag. Seven different clubs. As compared to the 50s where it was three? Four. No, four. Yeah. Yeah, so there yeah. you go. One of the, I think the record is seven for a decade. There's a few different decades that have had seven winners. But this that's is one the of most. Them. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Lots of clubs to talk about. I mean, St Kilda supporters, Hawthorne supporters, get excited. Yes. The time's coming. Um, so let's get stuck into it straight away, Charlie. Hit song for 1960. Uh, well, look, my favourite is My Old Man's a Dustman by Lonnie Donegan. Okay. Uh, but the big one for the year was uh, It's Now or Never by Elvis Presley. Oh, yeah, well, of course. So, number one in Australia for several weeks. Bursting into song. Still really crooning away, isn't he, Elvis? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Uh, would you like some, to hear about some things that happened in 1960? Always. going to keep it local, apart from the, this first one. So on the 2nd of January, US Senator John F. Kennedy, uh, also known as JFK if, you, if you're not aware, um, announced his candidacy for the Democratic presidential nomination. So that was the beginning of JFK, well, in that sort of sense. Uh, on the 14th of January, the Reserve Bank and the Commonwealth Bank were created in Australia. Okay. On the 7th of July, this is my favourite. Well, it's a bit sick, but, you know. <laughs> It shows how dark I am as a human, this one, actually. Let's go there. Uh, an eight-year-old schoolboy, Graham Thorne, was kidnapped in Sydney, apparently to extort money from his parents who had recently won the Sydney Opera House lottery. So they won the yeah. lotto, and then he's, he got kidnapped. It's so dark. That's fantastic. Um, in some great news, uh, Australian scientist Frank McFarlane Burnett was announced the joint winner of the Nobel Prize for Medicine uh, for predicting acquired immune tolerance. I 
Don't ask me any more questions about that sentence. Um, on the 1st of November, we had hijinks winning the Melbourne Cup. And uh, we also had Jack Brabham uh, winning the Formula One Championship for the second time in some great Australian sportsman's news. Um, would you like to hear about some Australians who were born in 1960? Please. So what are we talking about now? They, they are 60, 60, 60 years old. Right? Yeah. Or 61. Which this is year. pretty young. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> I hope. Uh, on the 21st of January, we've got uh, Jennifer Kite, the journalist. The 22nd of January, Michael Hutchins of In Excess. Uh, on the 19th of April, Roger Merritt, the footballer. On the 4th of May, Andrew Denton, TV presenter and interviewer. On the 8th of July, Mal Meninga, the rugby league footballer. The 4th of August, Tim Winton, the writer. And the 29th of December, Booney, David Boone, the cricketer. What an absolute well, rogues gallery of characters there. Six, 1960 was a great year yeah, for Australians it? born. Can I just drop in? One of my favourite things is imagining people, say, who have passed away or something, who were going to be 60 or something like that. Like, like Michael Jackson, they put up that fake picture of him. What he looked like. Oh, like what he looked like. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, we just got some stats here, uh, Charlie. Oh, yes. Downloads. We've had, you know, this is all from the last month, a lot from Australia, but Sweden, we're going gangbusters. Oh, yeah. Uh, New Zealand, there's a few, Germany, Ireland. India, Japan, um, and quite a few in America as well. Some more obscure states: Oregon, oh nice, Idaho, hi Idaho, uh, Missouri, Iowa, Ohio, nice, Virginia, New York State. Um, yeah, so we're doing all right. Representing, yeah. I love it. Mm. I want crab cakes in all of those states. <laughs> Virginia as well, too in Virginia, a few in California. So yeah, and then the uh, the province of Ontario, Ontario in uh, Canada. Oh. Yeah, lovely there. part of the world. The south of the south of the lakes there. Yes. Good place to listen to the podcast. Yes, while you're sitting, sh- sitting on the shores. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got some league news to start off oh, with. 1960. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. What's going on in the um, league? From 1960, the seconds became known as the reserves, and the thirds became known as the under 19s. Okay. So does that mean you had to be under 19 to play in the thirds now? That's a was really that... good question. Yeah. They generally were very young. They were, but, weren't yeah. they? Because otherwise they were in... Yeah, but it's just I don't like, know if they were age rules. If they were just the thirds... As Caswood said, tweet us in. Yeah, yeah, let us know. <laughs> us in. Because, well, that is the current rules. And then there's like a date. Yeah. It's like you've got to be un, like under 19 as of that date to play in that team. Yeah. But, if it was always the thirds, then obviously things would have had to be tweaked. And there'll be some kind of uh, underhanded fixing of boundaries and things as well. Yeah. Surely that's what they're always doing. Um, the VFL started fixing the schedule as well from 1960 so that teams like Collingwood and Fitzroy, Carlton and North Melbourne, St Kilda and South and Melbourne and Richmond wouldn't play games on the same day because of the congestion with traffic and trams and things. So playing at so the, like the, close venues at yeah, the same time. So because Collingwood and yep. Fitzroy are quite close, so those two teams would never play on the same... North and Carlton very close, and Kilda and South on the so- other side of the yep. lake. And yeah, Melbourne course. and Richmond. And the, Imagine a game being at the G and Pun Road. And Road, yeah. Ridiculous. Um, so that's kind of fixing up the fixture there. Uh, round two was a historic round as well. It marked the first time that VFL matches had been played on Anzac Day. Ah, so this happened yes. because of the rain. There was torrential rain, I think, during round two. So those games <laughs> had to be postponed for the weekend. And the government asked for special... No, the, the VFL asked for special permission from the government to play two games on Anzac Day. So the last time a game was played on Anzac Day was on the actual Anzac Day. Is that correct? Um, no, the, day, the eve. 
Yes, you're right. It was Saturday. Yeah, it was yeah. Eve. Mm. Because yeah. I know Richmond and Melbourne played, played on, on, on the actual Eve. Anzac, actual Anzac, Anzac Eve. Yeah, yeah, Anzac Eve, yeah. Yeah. Um, so on top of that as well, the entire season was plagued by wet weather. Um, in round four, the conditions all around the league were so bad, the scores of the day represented the lowest aggregate score since the league expanded to 12 teams in 1925. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, absolute mud pots everywhere. Yep. Mm, yep. Um, and we've got some Dacos dispatch news. Oh, bring it on. We know that um, Phil- Philomena uh, Dacos had arrived last season, Kazmam. Yeah. Um, She's now met Stanley, and they got married on the 1st of October. Oh, things are 1960, happening. the day cost so the marriage. Jumped, she's jumped straight off the boat and said... Pretty much. Hello. Well, you can, and, you, can, uh, you can see why. If you're hanging in for some day cost news, there's some big news next season, next episode. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I won't spoil you can, you can I won't watch. Spoil. You can watch one on TV at the moment. You can hear about one being drafted next year, and you can hear about the original. The original. Right here. Stanley Dacos. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's work our way up. This doesn't have the ring to it, does it? <laughs> Stanley. Uh, let's work our way up the ladder. Kaz, we've, been, we've missed you the last few weeks. We had to do this ourselves. Yeah, well, I, I don't know how to pronounce any of these team names. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's been a worry. We know that Anna is very good at pronouncing, so a substitute for her, I am not. But Richmond, is that how you say that? <laughs> That's correct. Uh, with two wins, two draws, and... 14 unfortunate losses and a percentage of 48 flat. I don't know where that's wrong. It's in a different place this week. Where's the percentage? 66.7 it is. Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. So no. still very poor. That's terrible. That's <laughs> we're having another Bert moment. Bert? What was his name? <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so, coached this year by uh, Alan McDonald and captained by Ron Branton. I'm going to leave the BNF and the leading goal kicker until the end. Yeah, we, we're mixing. Yeah, a bit of a surprise, you know. Yeah, Keep them hanging on. Fresh, right. Made some executive decisions yeah. without you here. Yeah, that's um, right. We had a quorum. Yeah. We did it. Uh, some debutants are uh, uh, Renato Ricci and Jack Dyer Jr. Um, one other debutant we forgot to talk about in 1959, Charlie, was Alan Richardson at Richmond. Oh, Father of Matthew Richardson. There you go. Ah, the bull. What a river. Yeah. Um, round one was a match against the much more fancied Blues, but the Tigers came out hot, kicking seven goals to one in that very first quarter, Kaz. Mm. The Blues came back to be on level terms by half time, but then the Tigers kicked away in the third, only to be reeled in again. Donaldson of Carlton kicked a controversial point, which reduced the Tigers' lead to a single, single score or point. Um, after a long time on period, the Blues finally broke through to level the scores and the siren sounded. It was a draw. <laughs> to start the season, round five was their first win of the season. Um, in a hard-to-watch match against South, Richmond got out to an early lead but were overtaken by half-time. The Tigers then got out to a 16-point lead um, by three-quarter time and then each team could only add a point in the final quarter. With this terrible weather, Tigers holding on to win. Then they had their second draw of the year in round 10. Their inaccurate kicking against Geelong was their downfall as the Cats held on for a draw. Ron McDonald <laughs> was the one who dragged the Tigers back into contention after they kicked just four goals, 10 in the first half. There's a good pause for effect there. Mm. Round 11, Jack Dyer Jr. made his debut against St Kilda at the Junction Oval. The Tigers lost, and there actually isn't much information about the game he played. Oh, um, what, only one game? He played three. He played round 12 and round 16 as well. All losses in the only three games. Do you played. reckon his nickname was Private Blood? 
Maybe. Maybe. Cadet, cadet blood. Cadet blood. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. throwing it out there. Opportunity missed. Mm. I might make it stick. Yeah. Even though he only plays three games. Well, <laughs> um, but their only other win for the season was an absolute miracle. Maybe close your ears, guys. Coming up against top of the table, Melbourne. The Tigers worried Melbourne throughout the first half with their tenacity and teamwork. What? Uh, this is round 17 as well. It was only a late goal against the wind in the second quarter that actually allowed the Demons to go into halftime in front. But then they fell apart in the third quarter and failed to score with the breeze, allowing Richmond to take a comfortable lead into the last quarter. And the Demons do what they usually do. They had a fight back in that last few minutes and two goals nervously conceded from free kicks um, saw the Tigers really nervous, um, but they held on for the four points. The Demons were setting up for a last attack on goal with the margin at two points. And a loose ball was scooped up by Richmond Rover Graham Jacobs, who kicked a goal. It was Richmond's only goal to the city end all day, and it, con- it uh, consolidated their win. The second year in a row, Melbourne have lost to the Wooden Spoon team. The, lo- the loss we needed to have yeah. before Potentially, coming yes. into the finals. <laughs> um, it's weird to think of a time when Melbourne would lose to Richmond after what happened on the weekend in, uh, in 2021. Okay. Yeah, yeah know, strange. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the end of the season, Alan McDonald, their coach, left to go and coach in Bendigo, leaving the Tigers to search for another coach. Yes. Yeah, no. It's just like in real life. <laughs> franchising it. Yeah, so best and fairest went to the captain, Ron Branton. Lead goal kicker was Graham Wilkinson with a paltry 21, as you would expect from a, from a wooden spoon team yes. there. <clears throat> with maybe some Stanleys in their team. North Melbourne <laughs> with five <laughs> wins and 13 losses. And the percentage, Charlie, you may or may not have. I do. The you. percentage for North Melbourne was 80.3. Hmm, not bad. So, yeah, there's a fair, fair bit of uh, daylight between Richmond at the bottom and North Melbourne uh, in, in 11th there. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And I can confirm no Stanley's playing for North Melbourne. <laughs> so, this year, coached by Wally Carter in his third season and captained by um, Albert Martello. Um, we'll run through the, uh, those other ones at the end. And we never spoke about Wally Carter actually coming back to coach either. No. Oh. So he'd been successful in the VFA, I think maybe with Williamstown. Yeah. And, well, it, yeah. and he wanted to come back to coach North. He was, he was blocked um, by, William, I think it was Williamstown, and they didn't allow him a clearance. And then he was able to do the next season after winning another flag with them. Um, so remember Wally Carter was the one who really brought them up at the end of the 40s. I was going to say, as if we remember, he, t- he took over in 48 and coached for six years. And then it's been four, you know, yeah, it yeah. was four years. And then, he, yeah, he came back in uh, uh, 58. Yeah. 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 Um, they lost their first two games, winning the first game in round three, which was a dour affair against Richmond at Arden Street. They won by 16 points despite kicking five goals, 12. Yeah, okay. Not ideal. They won again in round five with John Dugdale kicking five against the Cats in, uh, at Cardinia. Probably their best win for the season was round seven when they beat the Magpies at Victoria Park, a ground they rarely win at, Kazman. Mm. Uh, they won by 16 points, Jared Eastmuir kicking four and Doug Dale and John Jenkins three each. We've taken some spirit out of that one. Mm. Round 11, they jumped the Bombers in the opening quarter, kicking nine goals, seven. Alan Aylett kicking six in that quarter Ooh, alone, beauty. but ultimately lost by 15 points. We'll talk about that more when we, when we get to the Bombers. I love the forwards for North. They're always so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, then they would suffer six de- defeats in a row, eventually winning back-to-back games in round 14 and 15 over Richmond by 12 and South by 26. But this was unfortunately their fifth and final win for the season, leaving so, them in second last. So really, flat tra- they just beat Richmond twice. And then, yeah, like, <laughs> they didn't really do too much, did yeah. they? Yeah. yeah. So best and fairest for uh, North... 
Anyone want to have a guess? Uh, Dugdale? Aylet. Aylet. Dugdale kicked the most goals with 38. Footscray in 10th place with 6 wins, 12 losses. And the <laughs> yeah, and the percentage of ninety point four. So in nineteen sixty, we had captain, coach, Mister Football, Ted Whitten, and uh, let's just hear what's going to happen. Alrighty, so we got a debutant in Ray Whitsell. What not by itself? Um, Whitten launched a fitness program for the doggies in November, quite similar to what the Bombers were doing, and a lot of other clubs were starting to really bring in fitness experts. Um, but then this may have helped the doggies as they won their first three games. Mm. Round one was a runaway victory over the Cats at Witten Noble. Ray Baxter kicking six and Johnny Clegg four. How does this bode for Melbourne with their six wins with their fitness experts? <laughs> we'll get to Melbourne. Okay, okay, yeah. Do you mean this year? Yeah. This year okay. as well, yeah. Um, round two, they dominated the second half against North to run away with a 46-point win. Ray Baker with four. Round three, they were very, very inaccurate, kicking six goals, 17. <laughs> Their first quarter was two goals, eight to the Hawks, no score. And from there, they beat the Hawks by eight points. But they would have only three more wins for the season. Uh, one was in round seven, where they controlled the game from the start against Richmond. Witten led the team with three goals, six goals to three after halftime, won the game for them. Round 13 was a thriller over North Melbourne at Witten Oval. The Roos hit them early, but the Dogs caught up and it was a tight contest. The Doggies holding the Roos scoreless in the final quarter to win by two points. Their final win was in round 18, finishing off the season right with a 40-point win over Richmond. Witten kicking five and a big spread of goal kickers. Okay. I mean, is that way you like? I know it's good to end with a win, but it's like, okay, well, we've just beaten up on the little kid. We beat North. We beat, we beat North and Richmond twice. Yeah, like, okay. Yeah. Pretty pathetic. Yeah. Um, so, as I said, captain coach by Teddy Witten. Best and fairest winner was John Schultz, league goal kicker Ray Baxter with 37. We'll hear more about Schultz later on. Schultzy! And in ninth yes, place, G-Long, six wins, one draw, and 11 losses. And 95.5%. So, in 1960, Geelong had Bob Davis as their coach and Ron Hovey as their coach. Yeah, so just on that, so Reg Hickey quietly stood down at the end of the 59th Yes. Kind of realised... End of an era. ...his time was over, so after 17 seasons, 286 games, three, three flags... And going back to like the 30s. Yeah. And he had and that big break as well. Three flags. And how many um, grand finals? A couple more in there that they lost, weren't there? So um, Maybe one or two. Yeah. Mm. Definitely 53. Um, and a heap of records. So um, from November of 1959, Bobby Davis was announced as the new coach. Yep. Yep. Um, some of their debutants were Dennis Zanoni, John Fox, and David Hinchcliffe. But here's another big one, Stuart Lord, Kaz. Can you tell us a bit about Stuart Lord? Well, Stuart Lord um, debuts, but it's not until a couple of years until um, he gained some notoriety. Um, Ex-Port Campbell, uh, twin brother Alistair, who figured in a sensational tribunal hearing of 1962. Uh, then it goes on about his brother. Do you want to hear about that? You talked about him last episode. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, the, um, and I probably messed that up as well. Um, LAUGHTER <laughs> Although not as brilliant as his brother, uh, it's always bad living in the shadow. Um, he was extremely effect- effective and more consistent. Uh, he always fixed his eyes on the ball and went for it. A member of the 1963 flag side, and uh, he left at the age of 24 to coach Camperdown. So a few years of brilliance here from Stuart. Lovely. All right, so round one, the Doggies visited Cardinia Park 
And three Cats players and one Dogs player were reported as a result of a succession of fiery incidents mm. occurring in the opening quarter. Ron Hovey went down in the pack, and a moment later there was a brawl with Paul Venar after contesting positions with an opponent was attacked by another opponent who had run several yards to deal with him. In an instant, two-thirds of the players were in a swirling mass and the incident sparked off some vigorous play and several flagrant breaches went unpenalised. Doug Long went down heavily. In a flash, there was another brawl, and as it ended, the, the siren sounded with the ball in the air. As it came down, there was another clash and two players were floored. The siren continued to sound for some time before it was acknowledged by the umpire, who was busy with the melee, to <laughs> which most players rushed. The Doggies won the game. Cats player Colin Ricer was given four weeks and Bulldog Cam McDonald four weeks, both for striking. Yeah, for any cats and dogs. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. That's yeah. the old saying, isn't yeah. it? That's yeah. what Round two, the Cats got their first win of the season. But going into the last quarter, Cat Alan Byron decided to take himself off because he was exhausted. Oh. Um, the Cats beat South Melbourne by 44 points. John, uh, Stuart Lord kicked four. John Yates replaced him. Yates was supposed to take the field earlier, but he was stuck in Mount Gambier Just that day. And his plan was to catch a plane. Uh, to the game but he was quite late um, their backup was Bobby Davis who was ready to strip and ready to play in like a comeback um, ultimately he abandoned these plans how old would Bobby Davis have been at this stage uh, he'd be oh no he, he's only 30s. just re- yeah. yeah no he hasn't re- yeah yeah he's just retired yeah. the year before yeah so yeah okay uh, yeah, so he almost made a comeback. Uh, round three, they made a back-to-back wins, defeating a poor Fitzroy at Brunswick Street Oval by 14 points. The goal-kicking list spread with only Alistair Lord kicking multiple goals. Then round six, they beat the Blues by 45 points, playing a disciplined game. John kicked their best score against Carlton for more than 30 years. Their score of 17-17-119 was their third best ever against the Blues at this stage. John Devine and Billy Goggin kicked four each. Round nine, they played Richmond at Punt Road in what the age described as the worst game of the season so far. The Cats led for most of the day, albeit it was a close game. Geelong at one stage kicked six goals straight early on. Late in the game, Geelong crept 11 points ahead, but Richmond full forward. Ron McDonald got Richmond back in front at the 18-minute mark. But then five more goals followed between the teams. Fred Wooler kicked a point to draw level, and the dying stages, Alistair Law kicked carelessly, and the siren went signalling a draw. So Alistair Law could have actually won the game, but just didn't didn't concentrate. Doesn't sound like a too bad again. No, I mean... Maybe wet. I reckon, yeah, I reckon it's the weather that's really affecting it. Round 12, they beat the Doggies by 27. Round 15, they beat the Saints by 17 and followed this up with a round 16 win over North by 40 points. It was a step in the right direction for the team with a new coach and they'd won several um, spoons recently as well. And a fun fact, the Cats didn't play at the MCG all season. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. How do you get through a season not playing at the G? It happens sporadically, but it does happen, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'll be, not for too much longer, though, I can't imagine. No, but it does happen to several teams throughout... Yeah. Street, yeah, weird. Mm. Well, sustained down there. In the, the there's a few. There's a few years I reckon um, that the AFL would have been trying to see whether they could not play Melbourne at the G yeah. when when we were getting yeah. crowds of like eight and thirteen thousand. But yeah. uh, anyway, uh, so best and fairest and leading goal kicker both Fred Wooler for the yeah. 1960 Cats kicked 29 goals for them nice. that year. In my time off, I've enjoyed some junior games, and our colours are red and. White. Lovely. Just like South Melbourne in eighth place this year with seven wins and 11 losses with a percentage of a 92.3. Beautiful. So this year, uh, coached by Bill Fowle and captained by Ron Clegg, 
in his final year as captain. Yeah, so Bill Fowle uh, was a 1933 Premiership hero, part of that Foreign Legion. Yes. Um, appointed coach, having coached three clubs in the VFA prior to this, so had quite a successful record there. Um, in January, a new president was also elected in Ross Tate. Taking over from... No, not sure. No, no, not who you're thinking. Not who I'm. Not not who I'm thinking. <laughs> no, no. Not that was that's that's thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're thinking Just, the uh, the grosser, aren't you? Yeah. yeah um, Legion. Did I mention Foreign Legion? Um, Fred Goldsmith was gone, but Frank Johnson, former captain coach of Port Melbourne and JJ Liston Trophy winner, was now with the Swans. They've been trying to get him for quite a few time, few years. Yeah, so he'd he'd retired though. It was mm. um, so, yeah, so he'd retired yeah. from his previous club. Yeah, and now he's been picked up at twenty seven years I think old. That was the only way to get his clearance. Yeah, I think uh, round one was a Lakeside pennant match straight up. Oh, the, huge! Uh, with the Swans having a very inexperienced team, Jim Taylor was best on ground. Percy Appleyard, Max Oaten, Bill Power, and Bobby Skilton all kicked three goals, and recruit Frank Johnson was also great in this win. Over the Saints. Listen, with uh, the Checker Hughes medal being in, um, coming in this year in 21, mm-hmm. why why can't we have the pennant come back? Uh, Imagine. Neither of them play at the Lakeside anymore. Bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this great win was soon followed by a big loss to Geelong, with the Swans just not quick enough to keep up with the Cats. Round four was a massive win as the Swans smashed the Ruse by 40 points, limiting the Ruse to just five goals for the game. Round six, they had a two-point win over Collingwood. The Pies had been trailing all day and they came back hard in that last quarter to take the lead. And most expected South to roll over, but Bob Skilton dragged his team back into the game and they won by two points. Um, and you like, you haven't been here for the last two episodes, Kaz, but Bobby Skilton mm. is it's just a machine. Just a freak, isn't he? The amount of he, goals he's kicking from as a midfielder, midfielder is yeah. ridiculous. And he just carries that, like, he just... Carries everyone. He oh. carries that entire team. It's outrageous. Mm. Uh, the people, the way they rave about him. This, this, looking. I've been looking forward to hearing about him. It's yeah. finally happened. It's yeah. awesome. Um, they backed this up with another win over Carlton by two goals after trailing for most of the game. The coaching move that won the game was the shift of Ron Clegg from centre half forward to the middle, swapping with Max Oten and Marshall Younger moving onto the half forward flank. Mid-season, though, Bobby Skilton. Injured his back after falling from a ladder and he missed the round 10 loss. But mm. miraculously, I think because of the state break as well, only missed one game. Round 13, Peptides? Is that peptides, do you reckon, at that stage? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> round 13, South came out hard and seemed to have control against Geelong at the Lakeside Oval, but the Cats came back and made it a very tight game. South became very inaccurate after halftime, kicking three goals, 14. The scores were level with time ticking down and it was Henry Gunston who kicked the point to put them in front and won the game. Also an amusing anecdote, Kaz. During this game, South defender Peter Rice managed to kick the ball into the 3GL media box. (laughs) (laughs) Straight through the window. Yep. Uh, Round 15, uh, the loss to North Melbourne would be Ron Clegg's last match for the team after so many. Uh, And Bobby Skilton kicked five in their round 16 win over Richmond, which was their final win of the season. There you go. It's amazing... um how unfunny the Essendon supporter thinks a peptides joke is, isn't it? Mmm. <laughs> 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 I'm so glad you brought it back. Yeah. And uh, commentating a ball coming in uh, to the, your own radio booth. Yeah, how do you do yeah. Imagine the sound on the radio. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. Uh, so, lead goal kicker Max Oten, as you said, uh, benefited from those changes yeah. and kicked 39. Best and fairest, Frank Johnson has taken oh, it away yeah. from Bobby Skilton. Yeah. He, for, uh, he, Bobby's won the last two and he goes on to win the next few, but Frankie's managed to just sneak one out. And Skilton only kicked 22 goals this season as well, so quite down. So, 
Maybe that the Brownlow medal. Standards. He won the Brownlow last season, so a bit of a hangover. From yeah, that could as well. be. So feeling the pinch. Wow. Seventh place, Carlton, with many champions as well. With only eight wins, one draw, and nine losses, with a percentage of uh, 99. 99. Uh, so, coached by Ken Hands again in his uh, second year as coach. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's taken over. Big fallout between Jim Francis and Ken Hands. Huge. And uh, captained by Bruce Comden. Yes. Max Myers. Good. Vassal Valamos. Definitely. Love great. that. Uh, <laughs> Wes Lofts. Can you tell us a bit about Wes Lofts? Wes Lofts. Here we go. Um, <clears throat> so Lofts made the blue side uh, when he was only seventeen. Didn't we just talk about how you had to be nineteen to go through the ranks, so you could still debut for the nineteen. And it became a fine It's what we do, really. He was ruthless in his approach to the ball, maybe influenced by Hansa. Um, And although his reputation for toughness was somewhat exaggerated, he still managed to bluff most of the full forwards. Uh, At Loft's testimonial, former PM Sir Robert Menzies presented him with a plaque of seven mounted pennies representing the cost... Oh, I love this. The cost of his first tram fare from um, home in Coburg to Princess Park. So good. Lovely. Lofts. Lofty. Lofty heights. Good name. Uh, in the opening match, Carlton were outplayed by a slick Tigers outfit for three quarters, but staged a spirited revival in the last term, kicking four goals five to one solitary behind. It almost snatched a remarkable victory. This was the 49th meeting between these two great rivals at Princess Park and the first to finish in a draw. Late in the last quarter, Graham Donaldson marked the ball near the goals, uh, played on to kick a goal, but the umpire called him back and he missed his shot uh, in the replay. The Blues managed to rush a point to salvage a draw. Their first win of the season was round three by four points over a very inaccurate St Kilda at Princess Park. Um, But uh, Round four against Hawthorne, it rained constantly throughout the match at Princess Park. And for most of the day, the game was more of a rugby mall. Carlton were a better team and eventually won by nine points in a muddy slog. Most of these nine minor scores were rushed through by Hawthorne defenders. They lost four games straight between round five and eight, which left them with two wins from their last eight games. It's not a place you want to be. Round nine, when Carlton 11th met North Melbourne 10th at Princess Park, both clubs' season was already on the line. But after a fierce and even first quarter, the Blues got right on top and came away with a victorious 57-point win. Rover Leo Brereton kicked six for the Blues, and Wes Lofts, your man, Mm. added another three from centre-half forward. Interesting. Oh, so you're only saying season's on the line after only winning two at round 10. Your season's over, both of you, isn't it? Only good teams can come back from that far. Absolutely. Um, round 10, Carlton's big second half kicking of eight goals, eight to the Bulldogs, four goals, four, got the Blues home by five goals at Princess Park. Johnny O'Keefe played his first full game, scored three quick goals in the third quarter. Carlton's winning margin of 54 points in round 12 was their best against the Tigers since 1947. It's the only occasion in the past 30 years that Carlton have defeated Richmond by a bigger margin, which is surprising. Wow. Yeah. John James was at his best. He was brilliant against Richmond. Leo Brereton continued to rove stylishly. John Heathcote also added bite to the roving, and Graham Donaldson was dominant in the ruck. Round 16, in perhaps their best win of the year, Carlton defeated second-place Essendon in the mud and slush of Princes Park. In a game decided as much by courage as by skill, Carlton's defence was resolute from the first bounce. And their ruck division of Graham Donaldson, John Nichols, and Leo Burton gave the Blues first use of the ball throughout. They beat Geelong and then South Melbourne to finish the season with three straight wins. 
Um, among the positives for the season were the emergence of John Nichols as a ruckman, Johnny James in defence, and the goal-scoring consistency of Rover Leo Brereton. Mm. Rover? Yeah. Wow. Who I think finished second in the competition. I was about to say, he did. As, and, and you've already mentioned, uh, well, so John James won their best and fairest. Yep. Not surprising after what you've just been saying. But yeah, but Leo Brereton uh, kicked 44 goals this year to finish second in the in the goal tally for the season. Yep. There's a lot of daylight between him and first. Yep. But uh, as you mentioned, very low scoring year this year. So, yep. yeah. Jeez, yeah. I'm loving the new format. Um, okay, that just that, oh, that little that's spicy. Yeah, because uh, you can kind of try and guess as well. Yeah, guessing game. Who, oh, who got geez, it? I don't want to be away too long. Okay? <laughs> uh, and those big clubs, they have so much hope. But going to a different club now. <laughs> In sixth place, St Kilda, above Carlton though. Nine wins, nine losses. A percentage of one hundred and one point seven. You couldn't get much more of an even. Stephen Stanley so, season. <laughs> could you? So before before I uh, go to the captain coach here, we've got to mention uh, on the weekend for the um, Anzac Day match, Tim and I went to watch a live recording of um, we did. They, came, they to came to play, which was fantastic and uh, hilarious. And the half the halftime uh, entertainment. entertainment, I guess you'd say, of that was. Who is it worse to barrack for, Melbourne or St Kilda? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it very was good. it was very very funny. Although, on the I can see on, both sides. Yeah, well, exactly. If it was a normal year, I think it would have been a far closer debate. But the fact that Melbourne are six and zero, <laughs> it really it took the bite out of it. Yeah, and being it really a did. being a St Kilda supporter is just the worst. But Tim, they, how many both, times have St Kilda been six and zero? Anyway, a few. <laughs> well, they had that famous run in 2004 where That's they won right. their first 10 games and released a DVD box set of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> called The Streak. As you would. <laughs> and if you were a St Kilda supporter, you'd be mad not to and buy they that. Did it, they did it again in 2010. They won their first like 16, 17 games. So. That's right. And then they, they had that win over Geelong. And, it was and didn't weren't Frio the same? They both had massive streaks and then it, was, it got, got to them to no, break it, was, it? No, it was St Kilda Geelong had both had streaks and they played ah. in 2009. Ah. Like round 15, the latest two teams have been under Undefeated, undefeated, that's right. But I think the other one they played was it the early one that they played Frio and Frio were really good, maybe. That would have been perfect, but we um, interrupted Charlie. Yes, no, it was just very. I had to give a shout out because yeah. it just reminded me, you know, thinking of that. But that was hilarious. Oh, that was a, yeah. I was in stitches that entire day. It was great. I would, I would happily watch every Anzac Day. Like doing that, yeah. me too. That was, it, again, it was very, very good. So thank you guys for uh, for putting that on. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, back to what I was saying. Uh, St Kilda, coached by Jim Francis this year, captained by Neil Roberts. Yeah, champion. Uh, debutante Kaz was Barrowmore. <laughs> ah, Barrowmore. M-M-A-U. The club started with three straight losses, perhaps struggling to kick goals because they were playing Bill Young on the flank, which was weird. What's he doing there? Well, we know he's kicked 56 goals in the last yeah. three seasons. Yeah. So. Um, but round four, the pressure was on the selectors to put him back to full forward. And they did this and he kicked three as the Saints beat the Cats down in Geelong. Only their fourth ever win at this venue. They then made everyone sit up and take notice as they beat the Magpies at Junction Oval in round five in what was a torrid day. But with Lance Oswald playing his role in the middle and a late goal from Kevin Roberts, Saints won by two points. They continued on their role, beating Footscray with Noble by 15, the Lions by four goals, and North Melbourne by two points, to see them in the top four and potentially finals bound. Their form was up and down, though, losing to the Bombers by two points, then beating the Tigers. Round 12 was another lakeside pennant showdown against South after losing the first one earlier in the year. 
Uh, with a five goal to one third quarter, setting up a 22 point win, Bill Young kicked another four. They had their traditional close encounter with the Demons, this time going down by four points. They've done this a few times. Yeah, recently. they have. Um, they beat Carlton at Princess Park by 11 in round 14, but their inaccurate kicking showed them with 11-17 for the match. Uh, Carlton kicked one goal six in the final quarter to the Saints, two goals two, so they were lucky to hang on. Round 16, they played Victoria Park against Collingwood, and this had all the build-up of an important game. If they could win this, finals would probably happen. Um, heavy rain left the oval with mud everywhere and in a gruelling game the Saints oh. lost by 11 points oh. neither team able to score a goal with their weary legs in the final oh quarter dear. Uh, during this game Alan Jeans bowled over an opponent and word came out from coach Jim Francis to stop the rough stuff <laughs> because he was known as Gentleman Jim uh, they bounced back to beat the Doggies in round 17 and then went down to the second place Lions to end the season in a respectable sixth place yeah they're on the build uh, especially after the turmoil at the start of the previous mm. season so Mm. Uh, Finally, things are looking up. Yeah, Alan Killigrews, he's turned things around. That's it. So, best and fairest winner this year, Lance Oswald. And Bill Young still managed to uh, to be their uh, lead goal kicker 56? with 37. Oh. I know, I know, if only. But we've had, yeah, so he's had 56, 56, 45, 45, 37. Crazy. Up one place to fifth. Hawthorne with 11 wins and 7 losses, Tim. Uh, the percentage is somewhere there. <laughs> <laughs> the, a, perc- a percentage of 104.9. Nice guess. Um, all right, some debutants were John Winnicky, Bill Cox, and Ian Law. Tell us a bit about Philip Hay. That's right now. Um, this gives me hope. Not being uh, of any huge stature myself and so just six foot high and weighing 12 stone which in I don't know you can work that out tweet us in um, he was a fullback who consistently encountered bulkier opponents but his blend of maneuverability anticipation and judgment equipped him adequately for the job he was the 19th man in the Hawks first premiership fl- side here we go we can't stop talking about this premiership <laughs> side coming up um, <laughs> I'm sensing a dedicated podcast and uh, was a fullback runner up team in t- uh, fullback in the uh, what are you to say? fullback in the runner-up team ah uh, two years later, so there must have, there must have been a few flags, um, grand finals I mean, he was a magnificent kick and that is a little bit about Phil Hay, <laughs> hey, uh, so before we move on any further, Hawthorne this year coached by. John Kennedy. So his first year taking over from Jack Hale, captained by Graham Arthur. Um, and uh, another um, one of their players, uh, Brandon Ed- uh, Brendan Edwards, I should say, um, started introducing something new. Yeah, he was actually team. a phys ed teacher at the junior school oh. at the nearby Swinburne Tech College. So he introduced circuit training. Mm. Um, The original sort of F45 style (laughs) situation Uh, John Kennedy's coaching doctrine was simple With only two main points The the players were to be fitter than any other side And the ball was to be kept moving as quickly as possible at all costs Well I mean really What's changed? Like I mean keep it simple Yeah exactly Pre-season training started a month earlier than usual uh, where before they began training on thir- Tuesdays and Thursdays, now there was Wednesday afternoon sessions as well as light work on Sundays, and also some harder circuit training before games on Saturdays. Can I can I show you? There's a little photo here of of Bre- Brendan Edwards taking them through some circuit training. Yeah, nice. We've got extremely light stretching. Going uh, I mean, have yeah. you never seen anyone so lithe in your life? <laughs> Look at him though. I know he's 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 got his. It's a full. It's a like upward split. Yeah, it's like a absolutely. high kick. 
They look like cheerleaders. It's outrageous. Follow me, boys. Yeah. Um, so, the Hawks lost their first five games of the year um, and sat last on the ladder. Round two was postponed for a week. Um, so, instead of having the week off, Kennedy took his team on a grueling 15-mile run. As you do. Gary Young and John Peck missed the session and, as punishment, had to spend a night later in the week running 90 laps of Glenferry Oval. John Kennedy, though, to his credit, completed both of the runs. Oh, really? And with those two boys as well. Um, so, yeah, lost their first five games. Never mind that they'd played all four of last year's finalists in the first four games. Um, the team continually failed to keep possession because of the frantic play-on style they were trying to implement. Um, basically, the skills of the players appeared to be low and to, they couldn't actually play the brand of football they wanted to. They wanted to, to yep. Um, in the round three match, and this is a loss to Footscray, <laughs> the game went forever. Um the playing time was 100 minutes, was extended by an astonishing 32 minutes and 33 seconds of time on, including 10 minutes and 46 extra seconds in the first quarter alone. Oh, Gee, so the, fir- so the first quarter went for 35, 36 minutes. Something ridiculous, yeah. Um, so they lost their first five games, and such was the panic at Hawthorne, there was talk amongst the committee of recalling Jack Hale as coach. Oh, but after those first five losses, the Hawks are only lose two more for the season. Well, that's, you know, once it starts clicking and you actually have confidence in your game plan, that's, yep. I think, the problem, isn't it, sometimes? Sometimes you panic, yeah. And that's it, and you just revert back to your old ways because yep. you're worried. Yeah. Mm. Round six against North at Arden Street, the Hawks wasted the breeze in the first quarter, but Les Kane, Graham Cooper and Noel Voigt all lifted the Hawks and went in at halftime only five points down. 5-5 five, five to one point in the third with the wind opened up a buffer and instead of going defensive, the Hawks continued to play Kennedy's run-on game in the last quarter to run out 14-point winners. Wins followed in the next four rounds against Geelong at Glen Ferry. The Hawks kicked six goals in the last quarter to stitch up a two-point win. They beat the Richmond by 15. St Kilda by 12 and then South by 11 in round 10. It was reported that South's Ken Boyd greeted the Hawks' impressive rookie, John Winnicky with the words, you private school, the stars here. Yep. I'll have your nose broken by half-time. Flog. Boyd was uh, true to his word, but the Hawks still won after kicking four goals to one. We broke his nose. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, As you do. In round 13, the Hawks travelled to Victoria Park, having lost the previous 28 games. Never won there as a VFL team. Came close a few times. Uh, The Hawks were trailing by five points with only seconds to go, Kaz. Ian Mort marked across half forward and played on, slammed the ball onto his foot without looking. Full forward John Peck knew what was what Mort would do accordingly and was in front to judge the fight and mark the ball. Hey. The siren sounded. Oh, Mort. Down by five points. Peggy. Peck went back and slotted the goal, giving the Hawks their very first win ever at Victoria Park. One pointer. One point in nineteen sixty. They came into the league in 1925. Oh, this is it. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Wow. 28 games. It's been worth the wait. It's been not worth the wait. Yeah. It's, been, it's good now. <laughs> Round 15, Hawks hits 13, 10, 88 against Carlton. Their best against the Blues since 1950. This was their second highest wing margin against Carlton ever at Hawthorne. Uh, their best was in 1945 when they won by 34 points. Inspired, the club won their remaining five games, including a win over top place, eventual Premier's Melbourne by nine points at the G. In round 18, the Hawks needed second last North to beat fourth place Collingwood to make finals, um, which didn't happen. In, <laughs> in Kennedy's first report as coach, he said he was glad to have improved the side's performance from the previous year, but viewed the year as unsuccessful due to a lack of finals appearance. So I yep. like that he's got standards. Absolutely. He's not saying it's an, there's no honourable losses. Yep. Yeah. Love that. 
Um, and I'm guessing oh, Peck's probably led. Peck will get some award, surely. No. No? No Peck? Mort? Mort, no Mort. No. Mort. Okay. no. Best and fairest, Brendan, El- Brendan Edwards. Oh, yeah, okay. The, uh, the, the fittest and, and lithest man I've ever seen. <laughs> and leading goal kicker, Gary Young, with 36. There you go. Yeah. Given hope out there to all the struggling teams, you'll get there. That's it. You keep at it. Fourth place, Collingwood, 11 wins, 7 losses, and percentage of 114 points. That's Reap. right. So, coached by Fonz Klein and captained by Murray Wiedemann, what was happening uh, down at the Pies this year? They had a debutant named uh, Peter Rosenbach. Oh, yes. Um, they opened the year with a demolition job at Victoria Park, smashing the Lions by 55 points, pulling the Royce to just three goals in the whole game. Harold Merritt actually outscoring them. He kicked five. <laughs> uh, they backed it up with a three-point aggressive win over the Hawks at Glenferry Oval. Both teams kicking very inaccurately in the first final quarter with a combined one goal, 11. The Pies kicked the only goal in that one. Round four was arch-rivals Melbourne. Hey. In a quagmire, the Pies displayed commitment, strength and purpose. A determined second quarter gave them a three-goal break, which they never relented, slugging their way to a six-goal win. The Demons only kicking two goals for the game. Two. What? Which will be a recurring theme throughout this season. The two goals. Our losses have been bad. Um, after the highs of the win against Melbourne, they slipped with three lazy losses to South, St Kilda and North. Mm. They bounced back against old foe Carlton, holding the Blues goalless in the last quarter and kicking five themselves. Keith Burns himself kicked five. However, tragedy struck in this game with Tharold Merritt breaking his left leg about four inches from the ankle when he tripped over Carlton's Leo Brereton. A few minutes after the start of the game. Uh, it was a clean break with no bone displacement, but he would be in plaster for 12 weeks, and this would ultimately end his career. Oh, wow. Is there still... There's no chat anymore about Coleman. He's no, like, he's, nah. he's done. Yeah. yeah. They made it four in a row with further wins over Footscray, Geelong and Richmond, uh, but they followed... But then followed shock losses to Fitzroy by 16 and Hawthorne by a point, which we talked about. Peter Rosenbach was the star against Essendon in round 14, keeping Ron Evans, their goal kicker, very quiet. He only kicked two, as the Pies won by 20. Then against the Demons, they started well, holding the Ds to two first quarter points, skipping away to a 21-point lead, but their Ds kicked 12 goals to five after halftime to win comprehensively. The Pies won their final three games and managed to hold off the Hawks, nipping at their heels on the ladder to qualify for finals again. Well done, Pies. Well done. So, best and fairest this uh, year, won, won by Ray Gablich. Gablich, yeah. yeah. I'm going to say. And uh, leading goal kicker, Murray Wiedemann, again with, uh, with 30, big though. Wade. The big weed, yeah. yeah. That's right. So, John Coleman is in the wings there. They want to try and recruit him, rehabilitate him. Get out there on one leg and he's still good enough. Having said that, though, he'll be, he's back very soon, just not as a player. Yes. Oh. It was just like, for a couple of years, it was like, oh, he's, he's, he's yeah. going to get there. He's coming. He's got enough time to heal no. up. Yeah. No, no, no. Ah, disappointing. Third place, Essendon. Uh, 13 wins. Five losses, Tim. Very honourable there. Uh, 125.1. Um, I forgot we were going to get you to play the theme song again. Why? Yeah. Oh, we forgot yeah. about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so... With my time, I you would have thought I would have been. I assume that's what you did in your time. <laughs> I think Sunday Half an hour of each song every day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, coached by Dick Reynolds, I mean, of okay. course. Yeah. Again, captained by Jack Clark this year. Yep. Uh, some debutants were John Somerville, Don McKenzie and Jeff Gosper. 
So, Jeff Gosper, determined, lightly built player again. Oh, we love these, don't we? Um, <laughs> I do. Utility player who um, <clears throat> was used in all flank and pocket positions as well as roving. Not a spectacular player, but worth his place over a long career and had one run of 114 games without a miss. Um, was reserved in the 1962 flag side and half-forward flanker in the 1965 Premier team. So, great. Let's hear about those mighty bombers, shall we? Yes. Uh, pre-season defender Bob Sherman announced his intention to go and play in South, Ast- South Australia. South Africa. <laughs> South Australia. The club denied his transfer and so he decided to sit the season out. Or you play football. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Round one. Essendon started the season with a 27-point win over the Hawks at Windy Hill. Uh, Ken Pucker and Ron Evans and John Burt kicking three each. Yeah. Uh, round two. Round two was a day out. Taking on Richmond at Punt Road, the Bombers started the game by kicking nine goals, six to two behinds in the opening quarter. See, this is a, this, to lead by 58. This? Lead by 58. They capped this off with a final quarter, kicking another nine. They won this game by 125 points, their biggest ever win over Richmond. That's what we call stealing candy from a baby. Ron, Ev- Ron Evans kicked eight, Jack Clark kicked six. Then round three was a two-point come from behind win over Collingwood, but this was soured by Brian Sampson injuring his knee, which would keep him out for the rest of the season. They then got in, they then embarrassed the Doggies in round four, holding them to four goals, two for the game. Uh, but, uh, but having said that, the Bombers only kicked... Uh, they only won by nine points, so it must yeah. have been shocking conditions. A 35-point win over Carlton saw the Bombers undefeated at top of the ladder. Uh, but then they were defeated by both Smith brothers' coach teams. Five points to the Lions and two to the Demons. Uh, they went, went on to win the next six, including in the round eight win over Geelong, uh, which was impressive since they came from almost three goals down at three-quarter time to win by 11. However, in the state game following this, Hugh Mitchell wrenched his knee playing for Victoria, meaning he too was out for the season. Round nine and ten were one and two-point wins over South and St Kilda. Round 11, Bob Shearman finally returned to play for Essendon after sitting out the first ten rounds. And in an amazing game... Um, against North Melbourne. They trailed by 47 points at quarter time. Uh, the Roos heaping on nine goals, seven to the Bombers, two goals, two. But the Bombers kicked five to none in the second to be back in the running. They took the lead in the last quarter and won by 15 points, very much like that comeback win mm. in 2001, Kaz, that uh, was, was even bigger than that. Oh. They got beaten in three of their final five games uh, by Collingwood, Carlton and Fitzroy. But round 18... Against the Demons at the MCG, it started well for the Ds. Using their superior pace, they opened up a 14-point quarter-time lead before the Bombers recovered to be just 13 points behind at the long break. Mm. With Ron Barassi getting sucked into fighting uh, and Essendon players... Yeah. With the Essendon players, police were forced to stand behind the goals as fans had started to throw beer cans. Yeah. For all their effort... The Demons seeded three points off, off the lead, going into the last term, 10 points up. When the last quarter started, Bombers stormed home with a blistering five goals to two final term to steal victory over those evil Demons by 13 points, finishing off the season on a high heading into finals. Um, but really, the Bombers' um, warning signs are there heading into finals, losing to two of the three finals teams in those last three games, and injuries aren't helping either. Excuses. Did I just hear you say evil Melbourne? Yeah. Evil demons. Yeah, yeah evil demons. Outrageous. I mean, if we if we were alive, then would, wouldn't... Oh, I would. You guys would love it, but I'd be so sick of the demons. Yeah, yeah. Everyone oh, else they're would. they're in another grand Everyone final. would, wouldn't yeah. they? Other teams just faltering. So I sh- should say uh, best and fairest for uh, those Mighty Bombers was Reg Burgess 
And lead goal kicker Ron Evans with 67, our lead goal kicker for the season. Ah, there's yes. potent, isn't it? They're really up Huge. there. Huge. As we just said, so he's uh, 23 ahead of the next closest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive. Almanesque. Yeah, absolutely. They, w- they would say. Well, we haven't heard enough about them. In second place, Fitzroy with 14 wins and four losses. And the percentage of that was 112.5 this year. Yes, so coached by another great Smith, Len, uh, and captained by Alan Gale this year. A big debutant as well, Russell Crowe. Oh, uh, huge. Debuted for Fitzroy in 1960. Massive, Maximus Decimus. Yeah, Yeah, beautiful. Um, Following the trend of other teams, Fitzroy also appointed a trainer in uh, Harvey Cox at the start of the preseason. He introduced circuit training in weights and sprinting. Everyone just copying the bombers. Yeah. <laughs> Season opened disastrously, though, with a loss to Collingwood at Victoria Park by 55 points. They bounced back against Carlton the next week by seven. They kicked 4-5 in the last quarter to overrun the Blues. Things were wobbly, but they won their next three games against Richmond, Footscray and Essendon. The Lions' play was based on handball, although it was really the reinvention of the flick pass. According to the book Time and Space, uh, Len Smith had learnt this technique in the VFA and believed the wording of the rule in the ANFC's rule but there was no reason it couldn't flourish. So the ball should be held with one hand and hit with the other. He said it's not illegal, so that's why we use it. So it never says closed fist, I don't think. So It's just hitting the ball out of one hand with the other hand. Yeah. It's and then, yeah, they're, none yeah. of that, you can't do that, can you? Oh, well, I think that's really How's this for a, for a vocal thing going, you can't do that? It's yeah. Non-visual media. No, yeah. yeah. And on, exactly. <laughs> Round eight was a return to poor form as the Lions kicked only six goals across the first three quarters and trailed by... Who are they playing here? I don't... It doesn't actually say. Round eight. Let's just, let me just double check that. Round eight, Fitzroy taking on the South Melbourne team. Um, they trailed by 39 points at three-quarter time. Out of desperation, Len Smith swung Abrahams to centre-half forward, Keith Bromage to the forward flank, and John Powell switched wings. At the start of the last quarter, Ray Slocum, the 19th man, gold almost immediately. Then Bromwich kicked two long drop kick goals. Bobby Skilton was moved to the fence to try and save the game, but the Fitzroy tidal wave couldn't be stopped. Graham Campbell kicked the Lions sixth for the quarter, and the Lions were ahead. But Oton, for the Swans, kicked one goal against the Tide for the Swans to regain the lead. Quick as a flash. Abrahams kicked another, <laughs> his fifth, to give the Lions a three-point lead. South kicked two more behind, but the sirens sounded. The Lions one point ahead. Um, following this game, Fitzroy had to send two players to hospital for injuries. <laughs> so really paid the price. Yeah. Um, the Lions' loss to Melbourne in round nine would be their last loss in the home and away season. Uh, they'd win their next nine. However, I think this is the first time Norm has beaten Len. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're absolutely right because we had a draw yes. as well in the past. Um, so these wins included a come-from-behind win over Collingwood, strong wins over Carlton, Essendon and St Kilda. Before their final round win over St Kilda, the Lions had a barber in their rooms washing their hair, which, according to Len Smith, seemed to freshen up the players and led Jack Dunn in the sun to call them the Shampoo Kids. Hey. <laughs> um, I've that also got outrageous. a poem as a, written as a tribute to Len Smith. Would you like to read oh, that, Charlie? I would absolutely love, love to. A tribute poem uh, to Len Smith's year as coach. On the hallowed Fitzroy ground, the mighty Smithy stands, speaking to the Fitzroy lads who form a happy band. He talks to them sincerely and always understands. It is this wonderful attribute that makes him oh so grand. He never roasts a player who isn't going well. Instead, he gives them wisdom that he alone can tell. And there we go. Never roast a player. So he doesn't sound a lot like his brother. No, he's, <laughs> he's a little bit much more gentle yeah. and aromatic. 
Yeah. So, best and fairest. Bulldog Murray, Kevin Murray, with his with his first, his first best and fairest, and lead goal kicker Kevin Wright with six. So that takes us to the very pointy, pointy end of the uh, the ladder. Well, I hope you read Melbourne out, Tim, with as much zeal as you have with Fitzroy and Essendon. Melbourne, 14 wins, four losses, and a percentage of 143.1. So, uh, Melbourne, the Mighty Demons, coached by Norm Smith, captained by Ron Barassi. What was happening at the D's this year? So, after that fantastic year, would you believe it, in 1960, best and fairest, Dicko, Brian Dixon, leading goal kicker, Ian Ridley, with 38. All right, the Demons. Let's get stuck in, guys. We've got their 1,000th VFL game played in round one. The same day, they're raising that 1959 premiership flag. What a glorious flag that was. Um in this game, they proceeded to thump the Kangaroos by 55. I know that'll make you happy, Kaz. They're playing them this weekend. Absolutely. Uh, big, big Bob Johnson kicked four. Round two in one of the two games played... On not, the Tassie. Very, not Tassie. Not <laughs> Tassie. One of the first games played on Anzac Day was Melbourne, uh, taking on St Kilda. Yes. Uh, the gate proceeds donated to the Anzac Day Fund. The Demons scored another win with a fighting win over the Saints, who handed Melbourne the victory by falling apart in the last quarter. <laughs> St Kilda had been the better side for much of the day and took an eight-point lead into the final term, but kicked just two points to five goals for uh, in the last quarter, giving them a total of one goal 11 for the entire second half. My Nine of the behinds had come in quick succession during the third quarter as they blew a golden opportunity to put the Demons away. Uh, once the Ds took the lead in the last quarter, they won easily with many of St Kilda's players looking exhausted. Melbourne tried to get physical in round four with the Magpies, and we know this never happens, uh, and they fell into the trap like they did in 58. Their opponents played the ball and took advantage of the three kicks, needlessly giving away by the opponents. They ran away to win by six goals. Uh, 2-7-19 was Melbourne's lowest score since 1919 and their lowest against Collingwood since 1899. Ugh. Uh, they bounced back against Hawthorne, although they, made, they were made to work for it, pulling away finally in the last quarter. They won, kicking seven goals, 15, which was Melbourne's second lowest score against the Hawks in 20 years, which is funny for that to come in a win. <laughs> they smashed the Tigers by 92 points at the G, Kaz. Yes, they did. 17 goals, 22 points, holding the Tigers to four goals, eight. Good defence. Round Those seven. Win, wins premierships. To- top of the table clash against those mighty Bombers. <laughs> uh, the Bombers taking 43 minutes between their first two goals, though, uh, really left them to mount a comeback. They got within a first. They got the first goal of the third quarter, but then fell 27, 25 points behind. They got within a point late in the game, but Ron Barassi was the key to saving the game in the last three minutes, winning five of the six throw-ins and bottling the ball up on the boundary line. He doesn't Earlier give up. in the game, he'd been he'd kicked two goals and been involved in several attacking moves in the first half. <coughs> Bloody Barassi! Um, but then he had a bit of a shocker in the next game against the Doggies. He kicked six behinds. No. Then they had their best ever win at Brunswick Street Oval over the Lions by 42 points. Uh, Norm Smith finally beating his brother Len. <laughs> finally. Um, Melbourne's 13th straight victory against North Melbourne in round 12 further consolidated their position at the top of the table and almost completely assured them of finishing top two at the end of the year. Uh, in this game, Ron Barassi was reported for abusive language towards an umpire during the second quarter and was suspended for a week. <laughs> But I know, Kaz, I, I've been talking to you about this today. I know how much you hate North Melbourne as a <laughs> Melbourne supporter. 13 straight wins against them is pretty good. That's right. 
Round 13, the Saints came so close to knocking off the Demons. Uh, they kicked the last four behinds of the day to cut the margin to four points, but couldn't find that winning goal. In the end, Melbourne's ruck dominance and match-winning play by Brian Dixon contributed to the result. Mm. Round 15, a then all-time record crowd of 81,099 poured into the MCG and saw a cracking match against Collingwood that ebbed and flowed for three quarters before Melbourne stormed to victory with, ten minute, with a 10-minute burst in the final term, kicking 5-3 to nothing in the first nine minutes of the last quarter. Uh, they won comfortably and stamped themselves as premiership favourites. Oh, but that's exactly what we want, a close game and then uh, to run away with it at the end of the confidence. Which is kind of what they're doing this season. Yeah, it is. That last quarter piled on it. The Dees have won 14 of the 15 games this season and sat on an 11-game winning streak. But against the Hungry Hawks, they were jumped early and never in contention as the Hawks let at every change on their way to a nine-point win. It was the Dees' first loss at the MCG in a home-and-away game since 1957, round 15. Wow. Also against, against the Hawks. Them. Uh, hey, that was a great season, though. They've, they've just kept on their winning ways. Uh, then for the second year in a row, they came up against the bottom side in the ladder, Richmond, and suffered an embarrassing loss. <laughs> this was the first time since around 12, 13, 14 in 1955 uh, they'd lost two games in a row. Unbelievable. 103 games straight, which is a record. Um, because last season they had a draw in between. So they lost, lost, mm. then drew, then lost. So technically they didn't lose two in a row. Mm, it's similar They didn't pattern. win two in a row, but yeah. This is um, unlike Norm. Then the Mighty Bombers knocked them off by 13 points in the final round to see the Demons wobbling into finals off the back of three straight losses. That's no good. Norm won't be happy. No. So after that fantastic year, would you believe it, in 1960, best and fairest, Dicko, Brian Dixon... Leading goal kicker, Ian Ridley, with 38. And that's the season proper. Um, now, I know you're waiting for the Coles goals results. Oh, yes. Kaz, you missed this. Coles goals with the 1959. Coles ran a competition for whoever kicked the most goals. Fantastic. Was it called, uh, Col- was, was it called Coles, Coles, Coles goals? Yeah, I love that. That's so um, good. The winner for 1960 was Essendon with 214 Coles goals for the season. Fantastic. Yeah. We share the deli voucher around. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a 250-pound voucher. Fantastic. Bombers. Uh, and there was a weekly. It was weekly, yeah. I haven't got the breakdown. I haven't got the breakdown. Okay. Um, all, Too many goals, you know, these days though, right? Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> now, um, I need to give a quick shout-out to They Came to Play. We've got a fantasy football competition. I made a bet with them that if we beat them, um, they'd play one of our ads. Or if they beat us, they, we get, we'd play one of their ads on our show. They unfortunately beat us, Kaz. Mm, our I think team smashed us quite. Struggling. It, was, it was a bit of a surprise, really, actually. Um, well, yes. considering we tried to pick players from history and they're all retired now, our scores aren't going well. No, <laughs> yeah, Kaz. So, has he, so yeah. yeah, Dick so Lee didn't do too well on the weekend, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, so injured, dead. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't often play ads on this show. No. So here, here's a quick ad. They came to play, starring Limo. Thought Clarko made a good point Very about good the point. umpires not paying, holding the balls. 69 tackles Hawthorne laid and not one holding the ball. Can I say, though, this morning mm. there was a really good tweet about that with actual data from the last, you know, however many years, but that's oh, not... actual. don't ruin it with actual data. <laughs> Tiger Tess Armstrong. One stat that um, just, like, boggled my mind. So now it's four consecutive pre- prelims we've been in, and I'm like, oh, my God, are we good? <laughs> <laughs> Literally the most exciting thing that happened in the first half of the Melbourne Geelong game is that a training cone was left on the ground and they had to run and around. The game, and the game was so bad that that training cone actually <laughs> is expected to get Brownlow votes. <laughs> <laughs> and Danny McGinley. 
at the footy clubs I used to play at, training cones were things that you uh, did uh, in the shed <laughs> beforehand. <laughs> it was not performance enhancing, so it was fine. Yeah. Actually, but you're talking about maybe marijuana is performance enhancing for NBA because the Colorado was the first state to legalise marijuana. Denver yeah. Nuggets were terrible for many years. This year, they almost went all the way. Oh, yeah, right, okay. Evidence. Who's the Who's the Super Bowl team? The Denver Broncos. Didn't the Broncos make the Super Bowl the year that pop was made legal? Let's say yes. Well, I'm going I'm to Google it while we're speaking. Yes, 2015. And is that when the marijuana was legalised? Pop legal. <laughs> yeah, 2014 was the first year of implementation. Bang. And they won the Super Bowl in 2015. There we go. And the season starts in 2014. Yes. We're through the looking there glass here, people. Get on the bongs. Get on the bongs. If you want to be a winner, get on the bongs. Simple as that. Every Monday on Apple Podcast. All right, so let's head to Moz to find out, find out who won the Brownlow medal this season. The Brownlow down low with Moz. Oh boy, was it a close race this season for the Brownlow medalist. The three top scorers finished on 18, 19 and 20 votes. North Melbourne's Laurie Dwyer finished on 18 votes. Fitzroy's Kevin Murray in the middle on 19. And Footscray's John Schultz finished top of the pecking order with 20 votes. Uh, John Schultz was a six foot three ruckman who sometimes also played in the back line. He is known for his first ever league game against Collingwood, where he received a baptism of fire, sustaining two broken teeth and a badly injured mouth. Um, it's, it's a well-known story that even though he was bleeding his mouth out, he kept on playing. He started his career in 1958 and played a total of 208 VFL games, as well as 24 times for the Victorian team. He was also selected in the All-Australian team in 1961. He was a staunch believer that no Brownlow should be awarded for suspended players in the season they were suspended. When asked about relaxing the eligibility for the Brownlow medal, he said, Suspended players should not be eligible to win the medal in the season they are rubbed out. Fairest and best for the Brownlow. Whatever the sponsors want for the other awards. Schultz retired at 29 and he became an honorary VFL tribunal member. Um, now, the other thing we haven't done is the night series. Ah, yes. Another night series. So, uh, the night series in 1960 was again played by all the uh, teams that didn't make it into the okay. finals. Okay. Uh, played at Lakeside Oval again. Yep. Um, and... Let me just run you through what happened. So obviously it's a it's a knockout. We had the first game with South Melbourne Footscray, with uh, South Melbourne winning 52 to 55. Uh, then we had Richmond Carlton uh, playing, and Richmond taking the bickies there by uh, what 51 to 46. St Kilda Geelong Geelong took it out for 59 to 41. Uh, Hawthorne North Melbourne Hawthorne won it. Uh, Ooh, massive score here. 17 21, 123 to North Melbourne 61. Uh, so that takes us up to the semi final South Melbourne versus Richmond. South Melbourne beat the uh, the wooden spooners there 51 <laughs> to 80. They just yeah. dominate that ground, don't they? 
Geelong Hawthorne. Hawthorne won 104 to 44. Hawthorne is smashing it here. So that takes us to the grand final, uh, South Melbourne versus Hawthorne. And it was uh, the date was changed. It was supposed to be Saturday the 26th. It was moved to the 27th. For what other reason than torrential rain? Of course. <laughs> Uh, and South won it. Oh, surprise, surprise at Lakeside Oval, 59 to 72. So that's three night series to South, isn't it, so far? It's a bit unfair. Isn't it? All yeah. played at Lakeside Oval, I mean, but there be, you go. To be fair, I mean, Melbourne's home ground is the MCG, and they've just won five or six, haven't they? They certainly have. <laughs> Finals! Finals! <laughs> Not right. finals for everybody. Not finals for everybody. <laughs> Not been a while since that. All right, so the first semi-final, Charlie. Yes, so the first semi-final in front of 81,209 people down at the G on the 3rd of September uh, was between the old rivals, Essendon and Collingwood. Um, so, wet and heavy conditions. The opening quarter saw a very inaccurate four goals, 13 between the two teams. Yes. With the Pies leading by one point at the break. Yeah, 2-6 to 2-7 each, yeah. There was some accuracy. There was more accuracy for the rest of the match, however, uh, but neither team got into a big lead. In the second quarter, Essendon had many chances to gain a clear advantage but had no leader in attack. And then at half-time, the rains came. Of course. <laughs> the final quarter saw Ray Gablich of Collingwood lift. Wiedemann took the ball and passed to John Henderson. He fired a goal, but it dropped short. Ron O'Dwyer socketed it through in the wet conditions to put the Pies in front. As they've been trailing, and then Brian Dorman kicked the sealer with 20 metres from 20 metres out. Best on ground for Collingwood was 19-year-old Ray Willett with 20 kicks, 12 marks, um, playing just his fourth game. Huge. Um, thus, Charlie ends the coaching career of Dick Reynolds. Oh, which um, that's it. It's quite poetic in a way that Essendon was the last team to beat. Collingwood when they were coached by Jock McHale. Yes. And so the reverse has happened here where Collingwood's the last team to beat a Reynolds coached Essendon team. Yeah. yeah. So 378 games coached, 12 grand finals, four premierships. Unbelievable. Mm. 12 grand finals. Yeah. That is huge. That draw in yeah. So 11 years of grand finals. Yeah. Massive. Um, so yeah, Collingwood won by nine points. Yeah. So yeah, those those three goals straight in the final, final quarter pulled them over the top, finishing yeah, 9-12, 66 to Essendon's 7-15-57. Very inaccurate bombers there. Yep. Uh, so to the second semi-final, uh, Melbourne versus the Lions. The only time in history brothers have coached against each other in a final. In a final, yes. Oh, um, yeah, well, so North and Geelong never, have never played in a final recently. Not with the Scott brothers, no. Not with the Scott brothers. So in front of a slightly smaller crowd, 79,000. 796. Interesting. Mm. Uh, on the 10th of September. Um, Melbourne came out strong. Yeah, well, in the lead-up, the Lions were had won the last 10 games, so they were very confident of their system, and Melbourne had lost three. And I think um, Butch Gale came out and was like, yeah, we're three to one favourites. We should win this game. Yep. Ooh. And they didn't. They started confidently and tried to upset the Demons' defence with changes, and the first 10 minutes was the only time they were really in the game. Yeah. Um, they were shocked by the Demons' onslaughts and fell into errors, only using handball to get themselves out of trouble. The Lions dropped easy marks and hurried, hurried kicks without purpose. Um, they kicked their second goal 14 minutes into the second quarter. Yeah. And then... And the last term... In the half, scary. <coughs> yeah. Um, and the last term was half over before they scored their third. Yeah, I was going to say they didn't kick, they didn't kick one. They kicked six points in the third quarter. Mm, Melbourne no just good. kept the pressure on throughout, exploiting their pace, physical and marking strength to the utmost. The Demon's centre line had the field play with pivot. Sorry. The Demon's centre line had a field day 
with pivot player Laurie Mithen and winger Brian Dixon providing match-winning opportunities. Diggo! Uh, Bluey Adams couldn't be outpaced. Um, Quick-thinking Ian Ridley had the Lions' small men floundering mm. around the packs. Um, Butch Gale played pretty well, and Kevin Murray played determinately in his first finals game. But apart from these individuals, um, they just couldn't break through the Demons' defence. Um, and John Lord, you're constantly thwarting the Lions' attacks, and Melbourne defenders were just too rugged, and they combined too brilliantly for the haphazard Fitzroy forwards. Not in Victoria. Um, each time the Demons had the ball, they sought out teammates, and around the packs, they had a gained tremendous drive from Ron Barassi, who was excellent at ruck roving. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was it. So we've got uh, Fitzroy four sixteen forty to Melbourne's fourteen eighteen hundred and two. Uh, that gives Melbourne a fair bit of confidence going into the into the grand final. Uh, so that takes us to the prelim. So the uh, the winner there of the first semi Collingwood versus the loser of the second semi Fitzroy coming together in front of sixty five thousand people on Saturday the seventeenth of September and. Uh, very uh, even, rivals, very yeah. even at the start, Timmy. Uh, yeah, look, <coughs> uh, conditions were atrocious. Ah. What in this beautiful year that yeah, we've had? <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, very even, actually, very even throughout the day. Um, Fitzroy went into the match having lost a lot of confidence in that Melbourne game yeah, as well. Yeah, as you would. Um, the Pies lost Bill Sarong early with a broken collarbone and then Brian Dorman went off with a torn knee ligament. Oh. Um, Determined to capitalise on their opponent's injuries, the Lions hit the Pies hard in the third but could only add one goal four on the scoreboard. And then when the, the Pies swung back, they hit it hit in the last and, and, and made it count. Gablich again lifting the team. Beers and O'Dwyer drew the Pies level and then Beers added a point to see the Pies inch ahead. As Fitzroy cleared, Keith Burns smothered the ball, gathered the gathered in goal to give the Pies a seven-point clear advantage. Fitzroy's Graham Campbell had two late shots for the Lions but missed both. The Pies winning by five and ruining an all-Smith grand final. Imagine. Oh, winning all-Smith grand final now. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been so good. Bloody Collingwood. They ruin everything. Mm. Yeah, so not, yeah, as Tim was saying, 9-11-65 to Collingwood, beating Fitzroy's 8-12-60. So Ooh. very even the whole way through that game. Indeed. Um, so going into the grand final now, there's mm. lots of similarities between 58 and 60. Yeah. And all the Melbourne supporters were like, oh, like we, we dominated in the first one, but now we're playing Collingwood again. And a lot of the supporters were bemoaning the fact that... That they had to play Collingwood again. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of the Melbourne players actually relished that chance for revenge. Yeah, as they would. And we'll, uh, we'll hear a bit about that shortly. Yeah. Um, so the grand final taking place... On the 24th of September, as we've said, between well, perennial grand finalists at this stage, uh, Melbourne and Collingwood in front of 97,457 people. And uh, let's go and talk to the winning captain now. Ron Barassi. Yes! So, uh, welcome, New Demons Premiership Captain, Ron Barassi. Uh, thanks, lads. So, mate, today was your fifth Premiership in six years. You must be feeling on top of the world. Yeah, too right I am. It's always a good day when you uh, beat Collingwood, and to uh, beat them for a Premiership today was uh, even better. Uh, yeah, well, look, we will get to the Magpies soon enough, but let's get back to the start of the season. Uh, you, you became captain. Was it a surprise? 
Yeah, somewhat. I'd been serving as a vice captain for a few years along with Becky, so in some respect I knew it would fall to me, but maybe not as quickly as it did. Did you think you were ready? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I knew when the opportunity was ready I'd be able to lead this team. Uh, I'm not the kind of player to give in to pressure. I like to play on the edge, and uh, that's uh, how I decided I would captain the team. So what kind of leader did you want to be? Uh, having some excellent captains at the Demons, I knew that the most important thing was to uh, lead by example. Norm has high expectations as a coach, and I wanted to match them as captain. Now, your season started well, Ron. Did the boys respond to your leadership style on the field? Yeah, uh, I, I think so. We started well and won those first three games. I wanted to be an inspirational leader, and I'm sure there were times when I uh, ruffled a few feathers, but, uh, yeah, I never demanded anything of my teammates that I wasn't afraid to do myself. So... Way back at the start, round four was a little bit of a hiccup against the Magpies and you only scored two goals. What, what do you think the issues were there? Well, uh, the weather for one, it was a shocker. Two bloody goals for the game. Uh, but let's not hop, harp on about that. It's more about the response. And look, I think you'll see we won the next 11 games, which I thought was the best possible response we could have given. Now, you crushed it through the rest of the season. You got your revenge against the Pies, but then you lost your last three games of the season. Were you a bit too complacent coming up against the easier teams, uh, knowing that you had the double chance already sewn up? Yeah, there might have been a bit of that. Uh, the boys had no real incentive in those last few games, and irrespective of the result, we couldn't lose a double chance. And this fact seemed to take the edge off some of our keenness. That's right, it didn't affect you uh, in the semi-final. You trounced for Troy. Yeah, it was the right response, wasn't it? We hit him hard early, took a five-goal break and never looked back. And then Collingwood won their way into the grand final and everyone was saying that the lead-up uh, to the grand final was really similar to the 58 grand final. Um, so what was said within the club about that 58 grand final? Yeah, Norm didn't even mention 58 in his pre-match address. Uh, he didn't have to. We were just so disciplined and focused on so hell-bent on gaining vengeance. Uh, the atmosphere in the room was electric. Our players were looking through people. There was nothing on our minds except how we were going to play today. Is there a concern that the Magpies would use the same tactics from the 58 decider? It didn't matter what Collingwood did to us. We could have, they could have hit us with a baseball bat and we would not have retaliated. We were going to play football and nothing else. And uh, look, of, of course there was credit to Norm that we were able to approach the game in such a manner. But as players, we had, we had great pride in our performance. What did he say? Well, he told us there were three, three reasons for us to win. Uh, one, win for the supporters who had stuck with us through thick and thin. Two, win for the people who kept us going. That, you know, that is the committee, the trainers and other staff. And three, win it for ourselves because of all the hard work we put in this year and to put ourselves in the position. And then, yeah, look, Norm had a few of us in tears when he said that uh, if that was no good, then do it for him. When the game started, Murray Wiedemann tried to start it with you again, didn't he? Did he? Well, uh, yeah, well, he got me a good hip and shoulder early on, a real bone cruncher. But uh, I didn't even consider retaliating. I just looked at him and kept on playing. I was never going to be sucked in again. Uh, but that first quarter, you really stamped your mark on the game, 4-3 to no score. Oh, the weather was bloody shocking. But nothing would uh, stop us from beating Collingwood and beating them well. And they could only manage one score in the second quarter? And I tell you what, Norm was angry about that too. His bitterness about 58 ran deep. He wanted us to bury them. Really? Yep. Yeah. Look, maybe it was to keep us from relaxing too much at, uh, at half time.
but I'm guessing you couldn't relax. Not at all. The focus remained, and the job was half done. So they kicked another in the third, but there was never any danger, was there? Well, I began to feel, and I believe the crowd did too, that uh, halfway through the third quarter, we had the game sewn up. They had to put that much effort into kicking just one goal. There was no way they could kick enough to beat us. We had broken them. How satisfying was it when the siren rang? Yeah, very. Five flags in six years is amazing. Uh, but to win against Collingwood, as I said before, made it taste even sweeter. What was the win down to? Yeah, it was a result of a great team effort. Uh, a, a case of 18 footballers all playing their part. Does it make up for the loss for not winning the 1958 flag? Good question. Uh, you know, I think that one will haunt us forever, um, unfortunately. And Ron, how would you rate this side compared to, say, the 1956 or 57 teams? It's much the same. Same coach, similar tactics, but more hunger lies with today's team, having been through the heartbreak of 58. Do you think this flag is a result of what happened in 1958, or was that just a blip? Could, could it have been six in a row? Oh, hard to say. Uh, some are saying that if we'd won 58, then maybe we would have relaxed after winning four in a row, and we wouldn't have won 59 or 60. Or maybe I could be sitting here having won six in a row. I mean, like I said earlier, that one will likely eat at me for the rest of my days. And who was the best on ground today? Oh, Laurie Mithin, for sure. Uh, he was here, there and everywhere. He reveled in the muddy conditions. He was hard at the ball and his skills were not affected at all by the conditions. Can the Demons do it again in 61? Oh, yeah. You, you, look, you never know. All I can tell you is we'll give it a red-hot go. No worries, Ron. Um, good luck. Maybe we'll be here talking to you again next year. I guess we'll find out. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Ron. All right, so some stats from that game. Um, Melbourne, goals to Melbourne. Uh, Frank Adams, two. Bob Johnson, two. Hasselman, two. One inch to Rue. Um, for Collingwood, Gavlich and Henderson kicked one. Uh, Age-old question, who kicked two goals for, for Collingwood in 1960 grand final? <laughs> That's a good yeah. feeling, I like that. Um, yeah, imagine going into your quarter-time huddle with not a score on the board. It's not a good feeling in a grand final, is it? Um, best for Melbourne were Lord, Myth and Man, Dixon, Tunbridge, Rolf, Ridley and Maiden. Um, seventh consecutive grand final for the D's. Um, Collingwood's second lowest score since 1900. <laughs> the lowest by any team in the grand final since 1927. At the time, and up until two years ago, this was the best grand final win in terms of percentage. 442.86%. Oh. Only surpassed by the Tigers in 2019. Oh, yeah, of course. So, and fifth flag in six years. Yeah. Um, yeah, so at 44, Noel Smith was the youngest man to ever coach five flags. The most dominant six-year WCP club. Between 55 and 60 years, he played 121 games, 96 wins, 23 losses, two draws, 39 premiership players. Uh, yeah, uh, premiership's just ridiculous. So if you take that, if you take that, no, you can't. But he'd be, he'd be right up there in terms of percentage as a coach of Melbourne who's coached over the Yeah. Like, as, a, as an AFL coach, it'd be interesting. And this, this is probably where the argument comes from for him being Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, so dominant, so early as well. Yeah, they took over in 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 yeah, and we've had that conversation, haven't we? But the numbers lean towards Jock, but the, the dominance over a period of time is, is uh, enormous. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Um, here's here's uh, Norm Smith's leadership address. This has not been my happiest year at Melbourne. This is um, many, many people in this room have put away their shotguns for another year. These critics are within the football club itself. There are too many people in the club who claim to know a great deal about football, more than anyone else, but they do nothing about it except criticise. Today I give my answer. Uh, and he concluded this speech by saying, put those shotguns away and hang them up on the wall. So this is... An, an that's interesting because... Yeah, isn't it? Very foreshadowing of, of what's to come, of a, of a man who really wanted to run this club on his own and there's a lot of arguments that say everyone else should have just stood back and let him do it but (laughs) but he he did not he he did not make a lot of friends on the board Um, so at the end of the 1960 season the VFL estimated that the live telecast in the last quarter of three VFL matches had cost at least 245,000 spectators and the VFL decided to discontinue the practice so if we talk are we still talking about a pound Entry. I think so. Yeah. So we're talking a loss of almost 250 grand at, in 1960 there yeah. for the VFL. You can understand why there. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when when the broadcast rights aren't paying a billion dollars <laughs> in it, at this stage. No. Uh, all right, some other results. So under 19s, the winners Collingwood defending the winner point. The reserves, the Cats beat the Hawks by five points. And the McClellan Trophy went to Collingwood. Well, if they won, yeah, of course it did. Yeah. <coughs> Here's some, uh, some retirees. Ron Clegg, down oh, Melbourne, yeah. 231 games, 156 goals, one Brownlow. Farrell Merritt, Collingwood, 150 games, 148 goals, two flags. Jim Gallagher of Footscray, 151 games, one flag. John Mulroney, 112 games, 28 goals. Ken Ross of Fitzroy, 129 games, 36 goals. Tony Ongarello. Oh, Tony. Fitzroy, absolute legend, 131 games, 247 goals. Really the last exponent of the place kick. Yeah. John Chick of Carlton, 119 games, 29 goals. John Beckwith, 176 games, 19 goals. Yep, premiership skipper. And uh, two and umpire Harry Bitesell. Oh, he's gone. 152 games, four finals and one grand final. Um, so let's wrap this up. Yeah. So. Wooden Spoon. Wooden Spoon was Richmond. That's right. With their first, I believe, in the VFL? I don't know. No, first, sorry. First since the war years, I believe. Okay. Um, premiership was? Mighty D's. The, Who else could it possibly be? <laughs> the uh, Brownlow? The Brownlow, uh, it's a tie. It was a tie. Nope. John, no? John Schultz of Footscray. I thought it was a tie. Sorry. No. Maybe we're doing it. Uh, John Schultz of Footscray. There you go. The leading goal kicker. The leading goal kicker was... Um, oh. Ron Evans. Of yes, with 67. Right. Yep. Fun fact, uh, John Schultz and Ron Evans were classmates at Caulfield Grammar. Yes. <laughs> Both topping the ladder. Um, highest score was Essendon with 25-20-170 in that smashing of Richmond. I'll give you that. Um, Kazman, here's, yeah. here's your McCracken list. Yeah. Uh, okay, we've Ready? got Bill Cox here. Um, um, 
Renato Ricci, Ray Whitesell, Dennis Zanoni, John Fox, David Hinchcliffe, Max Myers, Vassil Vam Vassil Vassil Valamos. give it to him. Barrymore. Yeah. John Winnicky, Bill Cox, Ian Law, Peter Rosenbach, John Somerville, Don McKenzie or Russell Russell Crowe, Rusty. Well, I feel sorry that we couldn't say his name, so let's give it to Vassil. <laughs> That's a great Vassil name. Vassil Valamos. <laughs> it's supposed to be Vasili. Sorry. The double. Um, here's our premiership tally as well. So, as of 1960, Collingwood with 13. Melbourne into second with 11. One ahead of Essendon on 10. Carlton, 8. Fitzroy, 8. Geelong, 5. Richmond, 5. South Melbourne, 3. Footerscray, 1. Closing into our magic number 12. One more to go for us, is that right? Yeah, well, isn't that a worry? <laughs> that is Until a, 2021. It's a depressing <laughs> thought, yeah. Ah. So, so that's another, well season. Done, guys. another season done and into the swing and 60s, as we mentioned at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. What a way to hit that, uh, hit that decade. So stick around for Big Red. Yes. Um, and we'll catch you for 1961 soon. Cannot wait. Hooroo. Big Red's local footy roundup for your state and suburban football action. Sinking our teeth into grassroots football. Hey there, footy fans. Welcome to the Roundup with Little Red. Let's start with the VFA. The season was the first in which the association premiership matches were played on Sunday afternoons, a change which dramatically increased the association's popularity over the following decades. The Paran Football Club was readmitted to the association in 1960, bringing the number of teams to 17. They also implemented a final six final series. Sandringham played Oakley in the grand final, with Oakley winning by 10 goals. The leading goal kicker over the season was Dennis Oakley from Sandringham, who kicked 89 goals in the home and away season. The JJ Liston Trophy was won by Don Brown from Box Hill. Now let's follow the highway west to Adelaide. Port were going for their seventh premiership in a row, and finished on top, but lost both finals. North Adelaide beat Norwood by five points, 95 to 90. Norwood had led by eight points late in the quarter before North scored three goals with one behind in five minutes. They took an 11-point lead into time on. Norwood scored a late goal, but North held the ball in their forward line until the siren sounded just as Norwood was streaming out of defence. Wally Dittmar won the goal kicking with 69, and Barry Barbary was the McGarry medalist. Now further out west to Perth, West Perth, took the flag with a dominant second quarter over East Perth in the grand final, winning by 32 points. Polly Farmer from East Perth took home his third Sandover medal, while the leading goal kicker was John Jerovich of South Fremantle, who kicked 101 goals that season. In Tasmania, the three winners were Burnie, Hobart and City South, with City South winning the state championships, beating Burnie by three goals. Other winners around the country included the Cooparoo Blues, Kyneton Tigers, Maryborough Magpies, Old Paradians, Elmore Bloods, Midi United Mountain Men, the Wangaratta Rovers, who were coached by Robert Rose, Nightcliff Tigers, Pandana Roosters, Mildura Demons, and Kalgoorlie Railways. That's all for today. Tune in next season to find out who won around this great country of ours. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. 
You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.